Well, welcome to The Crossing. You have come on a fantastic day today, and so I'm glad that you're here. And I also want to welcome those who are not in this room but are part of our service with us. I want to welcome our Southeast Campus, those who are watching online, all of our microsites. Can we just welcome them? Good to have you part of The Crossing family with us. Well, today we are doing baptisms in the courtyard after every service. And so if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, this is your next step. That I believe that today can be a defining moment for you in your spiritual journey. And we have everything we, you need. We have towels, shorts, um, shirts, all of that stuff. And I have been praying for you for the last couple weeks, and I got up early this morning praying for you today, because I think some of you are ready to take this step, and I believe that this could be the moment that changes your relationship with God. Well, when you come to a traffic stop, that there are three different colors, and we know what all of these colors stand for. Red stands for what? Stop. Green stands for go and yellow stands for okay this right here is the problem with Vegas drivers because for some of you you said I hit the brakes and I slow down real fast others of you you hit the gas and you go right through the light I had this this cop that was following me to, a few weeks ago, and I came up to this light, and the light turned yellow, and I'm normally the guy who will hit the gas and just go on through, but I had the cop behind me, and so I slam on my brakes. Well, he was expecting to go through the yellow light as well, and he just about rear-ended me trying to get stopped, but I thought, you know, I don't want a ticket, and if you rear-end me, you'll get the ticket, so this will be on you. But we have warning lights in other ways as well. Like for some of you, when your check engine light goes on in your car, what you do is you go to your owner's manual to figure out how to turn it off so you won't have to look at it. Or if your brakes start to squeal, you just turn the radio up a little bit more so you don't hear it. See, I, I think this thing, the same thing is true in our lives. Because I think there's oftentimes we make decisions that cause a warning light to go off that says danger. There is danger ahead. And there are some times that, that we hit the brakes and we slow down real fast. And there's other times that we just hit the gas and we blow right through. This is exactly what David does in our story today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'll also have the scriptures up here on the screen that we are in episode 5 of our series through the life of David that we're calling Flawed Hero. And as we come to our, our story today, David is at the height of a brilliant career. When he was a kid, he had killed Goliath and he becomes famous. Well, now he is the king of Israel and he's loved by the people. He has never lost a battle. He has expanded the kingdom. He has financial success and he has followed God his entire life. At this point, David is about 50 years old. He's been king for about 20 years and he's been on this cycle of blessing that when he trusts God, God blesses him. And so he will trust God more, and God will bless him more. But 
at this point in his life, David screws up, and it is not just a little. It is worse than any screw-up of any person in this room. There is probably no sin outside of Adam and Eve that is more infamous than this sin that he commits. And this is a watershed moment in David's life. There's some people around David who love him, and they are trying to send him a warning light. But instead of stopping, David just hits the gas and he blows right through it. We're going to pick up our story. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent out with the king's men and the whole Israel. David sent out Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David is at the height of his military career. That he has had considerable success as he has expanded the kingdom. But for some reason, David decides that he's going to stay home. He's like, hey guys, I'm just going to sit this one out. You just go ahead without me. And after 20 years of leading them into battle, he is bored and he's distracted. Success will do that to you. It's not like he said, you know what, I think I'll relax, take it easy, catch up on my emails, take a shower, and commit adultery. It didn't happen like that. That was not his plan. And this is such an important reminder for you and for me. Because you are most vulnerable to sin, not when life is falling apart. Those are the times where where I believe that we are seeking God with all of our heart. That you are most vulnerable to sin after your greatest success. Or when you find yourself really comfortable in life. Or when you are bored doing the same thing over and over again. It says that one evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. David can't sleep, and so he gets out, and he walks on the roof of his palace, which would have been like his balcony, and I kind of envision him, you know, just leaning against the railing of the balcony. He's looking over the city. He's looking at the lights that are starting to flicker. It's at evening time. And then he sees this woman who is bathing. He sees this naked woman. And the Bible emphasized that she was very beautiful. She was very beautiful. And this is the first warning light for David. At this point, he has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. He knows that he should look away, but he doesn't. And he goes from one warning light right into the next one. He had sent word to find out about her, and so the man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. See, the servant knows what David is thinking, but he's trying to get the king's attention. This is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's wife. The servant is trying to put up this warning light for David. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David knows Uriah the Hittite. David had this inner circle of elite military force. They were his special forces. They were called the mighty men. There was 37 of them 
They were these famous group that we hear stories about. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Uriah was, was one of these who helped protect the king. And you know what else we know about Uriah the Hittite? He was a Hittite. He was not an Israelite. That he had, he had given up his own people and his own culture because he was loyal to protecting David. And while he is out fighting for the king, David is sleeping with his wife. And as I was writing this message this week, I just began to think that today may be that warning light for some of you. It may be that moment in your life where God is trying to get your attention. Because you might be getting ready to make an enormous mistake that will change the trajectory of the rest of your life. Or maybe you already have. And God is trying to get your attention and saying, stop, it is not too late. It is not too late. Stop right here. Well, it says, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. I don't know if there is another verse in the Bible that is more understated than this verse right here. That he slept with her. And David and the kingdom of Israel would never be the same again. David gets what he wants and then he just sends her back home. We'll fast forward a few weeks. And the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. I am pregnant and it is your baby. And the cover-up begins. Now, the thing about cover-ups is they never go well. The Bible says that your sins will find you out. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but the truth always comes out. And David goes into damage control. He calls Uriah back from the front lines, and Uriah reports to David, I'm here, your majesty, what can I do for you? And David says, how is it going out on the battlefront? Like, well, it's good, your majesty. Well, how is, how is my commander, Joab? Well, he's, he's doing good. Well, is everything going well? Yes, your majesty, everything is going well. David says, well, since you're back, why don't you just, just go home and be with your wife? The only problem is everything backfires. And Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife because his fellow soldiers are out on the battlefield risking their lives. And so instead of going to be with his wife, he sleeps on the front porch of David's palace. He sleeps with the guards who are on duty. So David moves to plan B, and he invites Uriah over for dinner, and he gets him drunk, thinking if I get him drunk, maybe he will go home and sleep with his wife. But Uriah has more integrity drunk than David does sober. And he will not go home, and he stays on the front porch guarding the palace. Well, David moves to plan C, and he writes a letter to Joab, his commander. He says, Dear Joab, I want you to put Uriah on the front line, and when the when the fighting gets its fiercest, I want you to pull back from him. I want you to leave him by himself so he dies. Sincerely, David. 
And then he gives this letter to Uriah. Uriah puts it in his back pocket, not knowing that he is carrying his death sentence back to Joab. And Uriah dies, and Bathsheba mourns. And it says, after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David marries Bathsheba, and he looks like the hero of the story. He looks like the hero that he's taken this widow from war into his house to be his wife, and he's going to take care of her. And David thinks that he's successfully covered up his sin that no one knows. But God knew. God knew. And David would carry this secret for a year. And then God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to go confront David. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And the way that Nathan presents this is the way that you would present a court case. That there is a decision that needs to be made. And so he tells the story to David. He says there is a rich guy who has a lot of cattle and a lot of sheep. And there's a poor guy and he just has a, a little family and he has one little lamb. In fact, the lamb is so precious to his family that it eats with them in their house. It drinks out of their cup. It sleeps on their their laps. It is like a pet to him. Now, the rich guy, this rich guy has some company who is coming over, and so he needs to kill some cattle or some sheep to feed his company. But he decides, this rich guy decides, well, I don't want to kill my own sheep and feed it to them. I'm going to take the poor guy's little lamb. And so he goes next door, and he takes his lamb, he kills it, and feeds his company. And then Nathan tells us in a way of saying, David, what should I do? And here's what David said. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. God said, I anointed you king. I delivered you from the hand of of Saul. I gave you the king's palace. I gave the entire kingdom of Israel to you, and I would have given you more if you had asked me. But you decided to despise the word of the Lord. See, David thought that his greatest danger is that somebody might find out. But his greatest danger is that no one would find out. And this is our greatest danger as well that no one will find out. And there is this huge lesson for us in this story, that every sin comes prepackaged with a consequence. Every sin, every sin in your life, it comes prepackaged with a consequence. And David will tell Nathan will tell David, what you've done in secret will be done to you in broad daylight. Just as David took somebody else's wife in secret, a few years later, his son will take David's wives and sleep with them at the top of the palace for all of Jerusalem to see. You need to read this whole story. There are so many powerful lessons in this story. And 
Nathan tells him that this child born to Bathsheba will die. That every sin, every sin comes prepackaged with a consequence. And you can try to control the outcomes of your decisions. But every sin has a consequence. And every one of us has the potential to do, to do the same kind of stupid thing that David did. That there are unavoidable consequences. But with God, this is not the end of the story. See, no sin is beyond restoration. And there is nothing that you have ever done that is beyond God's redemption. In chapter 12, the story continues. And it said, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He's finally taking ownership of what he's done. Even though he's tried to hide this for a year, hoping nobody would find out, he is finally owning up to what he's done. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Even though David said, this man must die, Nathan said, you're not going to die. God has taken away your sin. See, even though David was king, he never confused who the real king was of Israel, that it was God. And he confessed his sin and surrendered to God. There were still consequences to his sin. But God completely forgave him. You see, redemption is not about what sin that you have committed. It's about your response to the sin that you've committed. And David committed one of the most scandalous sins ever. And just like that, he confesses and God forgave. God forgave. See, the rest of the story is Bathsheba and David would have a second son. And they would name him Solomon. And Solomon would become the next king of Israel. He would be the wisest man to ever walk on the face of the earth besides Jesus. And then they had a third son. Does anybody know the name of the third son? It was Nathan. They named their third son after this prophet who confronted David about his sin. It is a powerful story. And a thousand years later, when Matthew introduces the story of Jesus, he wants everyone to know that Jesus is connected to all of the right people. And here's how Matthew begins his, his gospel. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he begins to talk about Jesus' genealogy from the beginning. And then in, in verse 6, it says, and Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Don't you read this and wonder, why did God put this in the story? Why did God put this in the gospel? I mean, this is the most embarrassing moment in David's life. And it's included as part of the genealogy of Jesus. Why would he do that? See, here's the powerful truth about that. Is God took the most scandalous story in the Bible, and made it part of his redemption story. And he can do the same thing for you. While every sin comes prepackaged with a consequence, here's the promise that we have, is that every person is offered forgiveness through Jesus. Every person 
is offered forgiveness through Jesus. And as Nathan said to David, you don't have to die for your sin. Jesus says the same thing to you. That you don't have to die for your sin. Instead of you dying for your sins, instead of you paying for the cost of your sins, God said, I will send my son to pay the price for you. See, that's what the cross is all about. Jesus came to do for you what you could not do for yourself. That he was falsely accused and he was beaten. His hands and his feet were pierced with nails. A crown of thorns was shoved onto his head. They crucified him on a cross and they mocked him. And he became our sin. I I don't know what all sins are represented here today. But I know human beings being what we are that there is a lot of sins that are represented here. Maybe like David, some of you in this room have committed sexual sin. You've committed adultery and lust. Well, Jesus became your sexual sin. He became your adultery. He became your lust. Jesus, he became your greed. He became your dishonesty. He became your pride. He became your envy. He became your hatred. And the moment that Jesus died, the earth went dark and the earth shook. And even an unbeliever looked up at Jesus and said, surely he was the son of God. And for three days, it looked like all hope was gone. This Jesus who had walked on this earth, who had healed people, who had given hope and who had taught grace into people, He was gone, and it seemed like it was over. But death could not contain him, and the grave could not hold him. And three days later, the tomb was empty because Jesus was risen from the dead. And so the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond? The response that God asks us to make is to receive the payment that Jesus made and to put our trust in Jesus by faith. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The Apostle Paul wants to make it very clear that you are saved by grace through faith and not by yourselves, not because of something that you've done, not because of your good works, so that I can't brag about how much better I am than you and you can't brag about how much better you are than me, that we are not saved by our good works. See, that's what a lot of us think. Well, I'm just a good person. Listen, you are not saved by being a good person. We are saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That you trust the payment that Jesus made on the cross for you. And then Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, the last thing that Jesus said to us before he went to heaven, he says, I want you to be baptized. That this is the first step of obedience for a follower of Jesus. He says, I want you to be baptized. See, When you look at baptism, when you look at at this picture right here, what this represents, baptism represents the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Just like we have our sin, Jesus became our sin. And Jesus died and he was buried in the same way that your sins are buried and forgiven and done away with. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, we rise up out of the water to live this brand new life. So let me ask you, have you ever done that? Not just putting your faith in Jesus, but taking your first step of identifying with Jesus through baptism. See, when you finish school, when you finish school, you have a graduation ceremony. When you get married, you have a wedding ceremony. And when you enter a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a baptism ceremony. In fact, after the resurrection of Jesus, every instance that we know of, when a person put their faith and trust in Jesus in the Bible, they were immediately baptized every single time. Every single time. A few weeks after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he begins to share the gospel with the people. Now these are people who had killed Jesus. These are the people who were responsible for having Jesus murdered. And it says that they were cut to the heart and they said, what should we do? Here's what Peter said. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? Everybody, every one of you, you be baptized and when you are, here's what happens. You have the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke, who, who writes the book of Acts and he's the one who tells us about this, Luke says that there was 3,000 people who were baptized on that day. Now, can you imagine the chaos of 3,000 people getting baptized all on the same day? I mean, it must have been crazy. But think about it. These are people who actually killed Jesus. I don't know what you have done in your life that you think is so bad that God could not forgive you of that. But I guarantee you, whatever it is, it's not worse than that. See, baptism was so important to Jesus that he walked 60 miles to be baptized in the Jordan River. And he did it not because he has sin. He did it as an example for us. And then he asked us to be baptized. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you be baptized? Sometimes someone will ask, you know, can I go to heaven without being baptized? Well, we don't believe that baptism saves you. We believe that's Jesus' job. Jesus saves you. But let me tell you what bothers me about that question. Because what you are saying is, Jesus, I know you died for me. Jesus, I know that you suffered on a cross for me. Jesus, I know you were baptized as an example for me. Jesus, I know you commanded your followers to be baptized. But Jesus, I'm just going to take a pass on that one. Listen, I, I don't understand that. I honestly don't understand that. I don't understand anyone saying, I want forgiveness and grace from Jesus. I want his forgiveness and grace, but I don't want to do the very first thing that he asked me to do. Now, maybe you say, well, I couldn't be baptized today. Why not? Nobody in the Bible planned to be baptized on that first day, but 3,000 of them were baptized spontaneously. Maybe you say, well, my parents had me baptized as a baby. 
I think that's fantastic because what they were doing is they were dedicating you to follow Jesus. Now you get to build on that foundation of what they've already done. Because in the Bible, everybody who was baptized, they were baptized after they were able to make a personal decision themselves. And so now this is your opportunity to make the decision to be baptized. You say, well, I haven't had a baptism class. Well, you just did. Check that one off. You say, what about a change of clothes? Well, we are going to give you a t-shirt to keep. We have shorts. We have everything. Well, I don't have a towel. Well, we have cornered the market on towels in the southwest part of Las Vegas. We have hundreds of them. Well, it's a little chilly outside. Well, we've been warming the water for two days. It is so warm, you are not going to want to get out of the water. Trust me. Well, I have a child who wants to be baptized. Well, we're just saying, if, if you have a child that's fifth grade and under, we have a baptism class for them. And you can talk to Rachel out there, our pastor of, of our Kids Crossing ministry, and can tell you more about that. You think, well, what about my kids who are in class right now? Well, I would say just leave them. We'll take care of them all week long. You know, you just have a great time. Now, here's what I would say is you go pick them up so they can see you making this decision in your life. It will change their life. Maybe you go, what will people think? Well, I'll tell you what people are going to think. They're going to be cheering for you. Kelsey Cardinal is, is a high school student. And she started coming to the crossing a while back. And Jesus has completely transformed her life. I want you to see her story right now. What's this? My name is Kelsey Cardinal. I decided this summer that I was going to be baptized after a lot of thought and prayer. I finally came down to the decision that not only did I know God loved me, but I, I trusted him with like my whole heart. And that was, that was it. That was, okay, time to get baptized. It was the best decision of my life. I had made the decision to follow Jesus probably, probably, probably like a month before, but I didn't know, I didn't trust Jesus as much as I needed to, I think. And that week before I got baptized was the week I went to a camp and I gave my life up to him. That was it. I gave my full trust, my full love, and it was the greatest way to openly profess my love and dedication to Jesus. Having done that and going into high school, it, it completely changed everything. You know, I'm in a day-to-day -day basis where not everybody believes the same thing and most people find it dumb to believe something in general. And so being able to walk through the halls knowing that Jesus is with me is, it's a very powerful and like, um, important thing to me to know you know there are there are a lot of people that I've been able to touch because of it from the day I've been baptized till now I still have those conversations with anybody I can I'll drag you in no matter where you are and I'll say hey I love Jesus and we'll have a whole conversation about it maybe you were baptized as a baby and it wasn't your choice but now you're a follower of Jesus and you're ready to tell the world that as a, an adult and or maybe you've known for a really long time that you follow Jesus and now you're ready to say it openly to the world. Or maybe you're sitting there right now and you've just now decided you love and trust Jesus and are ready to de dedicate your life. You should. Today could be your day to be baptized. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, 
then take the chance and be baptized. Dedicate your life to God. You won't regret it. I love that. Where she just says that today can be your day because there is something transformational that happens when we take this step in our relationship with Jesus. And we've already had nearly 50 people who've been baptized today already. And the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul came to Jesus, here is another person who, who lived such a life that he was killing Christians because he thought that was his duty to God. And then Jesus appears to him and tells him to go talk to a man who helps lead him to Jesus, helps lead the Apostle Paul to Jesus. This guy's name was Ananias. And here's the words of Ananias. He says this, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So let me ask this same question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is your day. Today is the day to get up, to be baptized, washing your sins away. For David, after he came back to God, after he repented of this sin that he had committed, he wrote this famous, this, this famous book in the Bible called Psalms, and one of them was the 51st Psalm. It's one of the most famous psalms. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is what baptism does for us. It creates in us a clean heart that your sins are forgiven. They are washed away. We're renewing this new spirit into Jesus. And so I want to give many of you the opportunity to make that decision today. And so what I'm going to ask in just a minute is I'm just going to, going to ask anybody who's making the decision today to be baptized to stand. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'll pray over you. But here's the reason why I'm doing this is I want this moment to be cemented in your head. I want for years to come, I want this moment, I want you to remember it. I want you to remember where you were and the moment that you stood up and said, I'm in. For the rest of us, we're going to cheer for them. We're going to cheer and celebrate for them. So I'm going to count to three. And if you're making the decision today to be baptized, if you're surrendering your life to Jesus, and I'm going to be baptized today, I'm going to ask you to stand. And so here we go. One, this is your moment. Two, don't be afraid to say yes to God. Three, we got people standing all over. I love it. Wow. So cool. Stay standing. Stay standing because I'm going to pray for you. Is there anybody else? I love it. It's not too late for some of you who are ready to make this decision. Stand up. So great. Well, let's pray together. God, thank you for this moment. God, thank you for everybody who has stood saying, I'm in, I'm ready. And God, I want to thank you for everybody who didn't stand. Maybe they didn't have the courage to stand, but they're going to be baptized today. For every single person who is taking this step in their spiritual journey, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. God, that you would create in them a clean heart. 
you would start this brand new story in them because that's your power. It is the redemption that comes through Jesus. So we thank you for what Jesus has done for us, that he became our sin so that we could be redeemed through him. So we pray this in the powerful, significant, life-changing name of Jesus.